guy could really get hurt. This guy might not make it home. This, my unit needs me to do this. I need to do this for them. And so it's not necessarily for me or it's for them. And the same thing with fraternity. You're listening to the Teak Nation podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Runners, welcome into this special Veterans Day edition of the Teak Nation podcast. I appreciate you joining us. We have two phenomenal guests for you today. First, Jeff Searcy, who's from the University of West Georgia is where he was initiated, and Griffin Bryan, who is from our group at UNC Wilmington. And Frauders, extremely grateful for you making time for us on this Veterans Day and to share a little bit of your experiences with our organization a group that's full of so many veterans and so many folks who have served our country valiantly, just like you you have and you are currently Griffin. So Jeff, if you could give us a little bio on yourself and your experiences, both fraternity and also uh, the, the work that you've done in serving our country. Wow. Okay. Well, Donald, thanks. Uh, always great. I always love the chance to come and um, talk about veterans. Uh, it's certainly not about me, but, but about those who are serving, because I, I truly think that our veteran community, those that are Active duty, as well as those who have served, represent the best of what this country has to offer. And uh, it, it is one of the greatest things to ever get to do uh, to serve. And so I was um, at the West Georgia, then West Georgia College. Uh, then I was number 131. I had the incredible honor of being president when we rechartered uh, there at Xi Theta. And uh, I tell you, you know, you guys know there are a couple of guys that are still running around there. Um, Todd Farmer is, and you, I'm sure everybody knows knows Todd and uh, I had the, the great opportunity to, uh, to be with him there at West Georgia. Um, but I left, uh, I left Carrollton in 1989 and um, really wanted to, to do something uh, pretty drastic, I guess, for lack of a better term. And um, I always, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was probably the least likely, if there was a vote least likely to ever be in the military, that was probably me. Uh, and it just flipped, and I really got went hard charging and, uh, and went in the Marine Corps in 1990 during Desert Storm, uh, and I served um, active duty four years and then four years reserve, got out in 94. I had the opportunity of teaching guys uh, how to troubleshoot and, and fix uh, all the, the tow missile systems, all the infrared sites, uh, the fire control and the M1 Abrams tank, and so uh, all those tank killers that, that created a whole lot of destruction uh, in the in the deserts of Iraq, uh, and so I got a chance to to teach guys how to do that, and um, and through it went back. I got out of um, when I got out, I went back to work for a company that I had uh, had worked at previously, just north of Atlanta, a little town, Marietta. You guys may have may have heard of Marietta. It's pretty um, pretty hard charging place, uh, and I, I ran that company for ten years, and went back and got my I finished up my undergrad, got my master's. Uh, and I really just felt the need to go and do my own thing. And so in uh, 2004, I left that company after 10 years uh, and started my own promotional marketing company. And um, uh, before uh, I left there, I, we did a big promotion, uh, retail promotion for, uh, to support our, our veteran community. And uh, a lady saw a flyer at a Chick-fil-A uh, and she said, hey, my name is Kim Scofie. I'm with an organization called Soldiers Angels. I'd love to help you. I said, sure, Kim, come on board. You know, the more the merrier. 
Well, when I, after I left and I started my promotional marketing company, I talked to her and she goes, you know what, there's a guy you need to call and his name's John Melia. He is starting this organization to work with wounded guys. It's called the Wounded Warrior Project. And you know, they're, they're just getting started off. They're not a, a charity yet, but you may want to talk to him. You're a Marine, he's a Marine, uh, it, it may work out. And I called John one Sunday afternoon uh, and told him what I was doing and uh, we kind of struck up a friendship. And so my little, I called it my, my manufacturing mecca uh, in a little town called Ackworth. Uh, it's about, I don't know, a thousand square feet underneath a coffee shop. I had screen printing and I had all this stuff done. And so the first 1500 backpacks that went global uh, to, to put clothes on wounded warriors when they came back uh, when they were launched to Germany uh, and at Walter Reed, came from my little shop and so I had the, the awesome opportunity of do all that marketing uh, and branding before and even to promote Soldier, Soldier Ride which was a contiguous um, bicycle ride from Montauk New York to San Diego California really cool story if we got time to tell that Chris Carney and those guys uh, unbelievable how that works out it's amazing what happens off a bar stool uh, and how impactful those things can be but uh, in two, early 2005 John called me and goes hey man uh, we're about to launch and become our own charity uh, would you would you consider running the, the development department and, uh, and and raise money in marketing and PR? And I said, well, John, I'm not a nonprofit guy, man. I'm a I'm a business guy. I don't know anything about nonprofit. He goes, well, neither do I. And so I said, sure. And so I came and told my wife, I said, babe, I'm going to Roanoke. And she goes, you're going to work with those guys, aren't you? I said, yep. So literally we started October, uh, August 1st of 2005. Uh, I was the, the first chief development and marketing officer for Wounded Warrior Project. And we built a pretty awesome machine. Um, uh, in 2008, uh, I left because I really wanted to follow my heart. And, and I went and asked him, I said, hey, I'd love to, uh, th this second part of, of the, uh, the transition back, it wasn't transmission from the battlefield, but also now transition back into just life. Uh, and so our whole education and empowerment and employment programs, I had the opportunity to run those, those global programs. And so that's that, that second part of the transition back uh, into you know, into the world, back 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 home, and and uh, uh, and then I left there in '09 and wanted to work with a number of charities, and I've, so I've done consulting and I've had the opportunity to teach and do a lot of things over the last uh, 10, 10 years or so. But that's that's been it. I, I'm I'm a I, I teach now. I teach government economics. I'm a baseball coach. I still consult. I still get a chance to work with a lot of organizations. So uh, there's my short version. But yeah, that's it. It's been a really awesome and wild wild ride for the last. Oh, wow, 30 years, I guess. Well, thank you. That's a phenomenal introduction. I can't wait to ask more questions <laughs> and dive a little deeper into your story. Griffin, can you can you share some highlights as someone who's a recent graduate, 2018 graduate uh, of, of uh, UNC Wilmington and, and your experience, both in the fraternity and also in the last two years as you've graduated and moved into the quote-unquote real world, as we say? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for letting me uh, speak, too. My name is Griffin Brain. I'm from UNCW, so University of North Carolina Wilmington, from the UCI chapter, scroll number 309. So uh, pretty much how my story started, went to college, not really know what I wanted to do. Got a, a degree in environmental science with a minor in geospatial technologies. Um, wasn't much jobs in the out at the end part of it. So starting my senior year, started realizing, hey, I gotta find a job. So I, started, I worked all the way through college, um, just part-time job, but this doesn't really get me anywhere. And uh, I had a buddy of mine who said, hey, what about the military? Didn't really think much of it, really never thought of it. Wasn't really like the military type. Um, and then from there on, spoke to recruiters. The biggest thing is go out there and actually speak to someone. 
and I wanted to go into something with my degree. Went to school for four years, like, okay, I want to do something with environmental sciences. Well, a recruiter came back to me, I was like, okay, we have a STEM degree, uh, how about uh, flying? I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I could fly. Um, never really thought about it, never really had the opportunity. I uh, grew up going to air shows, watched the Blue Angels, watched Thunderbirds. I was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. So a big thing I thought originally is you just sign the papers. Like you sign the papers, you go off, you go off the OCS and you're good. Well, come to find out, I put an entire package. Um, they look at your GPA, look at your community service hours. Um, they look at your job history. You have to have four letter recommendations. So I was like, oh crap. Uh, senior year, I kind of messed around my freshman and sophomore year, um, trying to get the uh, ball rolling going on my GPA. So got that going, started talking to people. Um, Teak really helped me out with that as far as networking goes, community service, community flare, fifth event, which was great. We helped out with Queen Highways. Um, obviously all the things with St. Jude, I was able to tap onto that. And then uh, as far as like letter recommendations go, uh, we had a couple of brothers in the fraternity who had some good networking. So my junior year, I ended up renting a house from the district attorney of Wilmington. We built a good relationship with the district attorney. I was able to use him for a letter recommendation. And then one of our brother's stepdads was a senator. So I was able to uh, set up a meeting, really last minute meeting. Um, the senator's kind of caught off guard when I called him. Didn't really know uh, who I was or what I, what I was doing. So I was able to actually drive down to Raleigh, about two hour drive from Wilmington. Um, got in my suit, went up there, had a quick interview. Just kind of told him what I had, uh, what was my journey like and uh, what I'm trying to do. And uh, left their letter of recommendation. Couple other, I had two other organizations. One was my previous employer. I was running a business for a lady in Wilmington. So I had that option to go out of school and decide not to take that and continue that, um, that job offer. But uh, and the other one was a professor at UNCW. Um, but really, Teak just kind of helped me a lot with the networking abilities to go actually reach out to people. It's like, hey, have you done this? I went out through our uh, list of scroll numbers and it's like, okay, who was in the military? Who can I talk to? And we had an older brother when I first joined was in the Marines. I gotta talk to him a little bit about it. Um, I'm still really skeptical about it, but uh, I found out it was right after I graduated in 2018 that I, I was selected. So the entire application goes through a board of people and that board selects you off of uh, all those parameters of your grades, your letter recommendations, and then uh, your community service stuff. So I got uh, selected for a student naval aviator, um, left uh, Wilmington in November, and then went to Officer Cant School in Rhode Island, so Newport, Rhode Island. Spent about 12 weeks there, pretty cold from uh, southeastern North Carolina, some warm humidity, uh, pretty freezing there, walk outside and tears freeze your face, so that was different. Um, so went through that, that was a 12-week program, came out of there as commissioned officer, so I'm an ensign in the United States Navy. Um, went there, went back to Wilmington, North Carolina, worked in recruiting office for about two months, waiting so I can uh, fill my orders in Pensacola, Florida. So got down here in Pensacola, went through um, aviation pre-flight indoctrination. So first you get down here, you got to run an entire uh, PT test. So uh, you come out here, do a bunch of PT tests, and then we'd have something called an introductory flight school. We actually get to fly commercial side for a little bit. So I got about, about 14 hours in a civilian aircraft, a little Piper just flying around, just to make sure that we're comfortable being in the air. All of these are filters for the Navy. So you start with IFS, which is introductory flight school. Then you go to aviation pre-flight doctrination, which is second. That's some uh, pretty intense academics. I thought I studied in school, but uh, this definitely, uh, all the information we had to learn in textbooks. We had short weeks to learn everything about engines, all the rules about the airspaces, um, thing about navigation. So in school, they don't teach you how to read a chart. So they go through, uh, learn how to read a chart, write a chart out, plan everything. Got through there sometime in, this, right before Christmas in December, 
So I graduated um, from Pensacola, Florida, and I moved up north about 45 miles to Milton, Florida, the primary flight school, which I just completed. That's where we, uh, it's hard to put a timeline on it. it. Took me about six months to get through the program with COVID and everything um, and all the holidays. But there you learn, you will fly the T-6 Bravo. So it's a high performance aircraft. Um, I have about 60 hours in that. I got about four solo flights. So they let me take it by myself, which I was kind of surprised. Um, that was a little fun. You start off with like visual flying, you do some contact flying, then you do some instrument flying, and you do formation flying. So I never uh, really felt out of my comfort zone. So when you're flying right there. Um, so right now, did all of that. I graduated. I selected my future platform. So I'm heading out to Corpus Christi here in the next about a month. I moved out of here in a month, and I'm going to start flying the uh, T-44, which is a multi-engine plane. And then from there, I'm going to go out to Jacksonville to fly the uh, P-8 uh, yeah, side. So that'll be my future platform. That's pretty much it for me. Um, that's my story. You are my kind of guy, man. I love the detail. You know, too many times you get in these interviews with people <laughs> and you ask them questions and they give you these platitudes and just a couple things. My man coming in with some details. Thank you. Thank you, Griffin. And something that you touched on that I, that I want to pose to Jeff as we get going here is how the fraternity played a role in, in your military service and in your growth and even some similarities that you might have seen in terms of that experience to when you, you joined the military and for you, Jeff, as a Marine. Griffin talked about how the fraternity really helped him even in just some of the abilities to network, the service that he had done as a member of the fraternity, which propelled him even to have the opportunity to be now um, in the Air Force. Can you talk, Jeff, about your experience and, and how the fraternity, if in any way, prepared you for your military service. Absolutely. Well, you know, one, to, to think about just the, the structure of fraternity, and there's a brotherhood there, and, and you, because I don't care what anybody tells you, you know, you serve your country, and, and there, there is so much, and, and you got the flag, I got a flag back. I mean, I am, I am red, white, and blue, but at the end of the day, it is really more about the guy to your right and to your left, and, and you, that's who you're, that's who are, you are truly serving. Yes, you, you serve your country, and yes, uh, you do it for all the, the great, right reasons. I mean, people don't join the military just on whims. You know, there, there's, a, there's that burning inside, and there's that desire to serve something that's a whole lot bigger than yourself, and then that's really what I think draws people a lot to the military. And so, you know, the fraternity provided that platform. I mean, it was about the guys. It was the guys that, that you that, that you were um, as a part, your, your fraternity brothers. I mean, I still talk with the guys now. Uh, gosh, you know, now what is it, 1986? I can't even do the math. 20-something years later, we're still in contact. And, and, but that's really what it was. And the fraternity provided that the framework and the platform and all the, the wild and crazy that we did. But at the end of the day, it was really about the guys uh, that you were in the fraternity with and, and the, the similarities to the military uh, are, are, are really uncanny when you think about it. And Griffin, can you talk about, you highlighted a lot of detail there as, as I mentioned detail when, in your introduction. And I'm curious, if that level of detail, if that was part of your life before you joined the military, or if that was one of the lessons that was instilled upon you. And, and I ask that, I have a, a personal, uh, personal focus in there because as a son of a United States Marine, my whole life was built around discipline and detail and the way that you did everything mattered. And that was something where 
anyone who's grown up in a military family who's, who's listening to this understands that. And I'm really proud and grateful for that experience uh, that I had as a child. Now, uh, I might not have been grateful for it when I was living it, uh, but I'm grateful for it now. Can you talk about that, Griffin, if you had any of that experience growing up or in the fraternity, or if really this has been sort of a, a life-changing, altering experience in joining the military and some of the, the skills that you have acquired just through that experience in a couple of years? Yeah, so OCS was a uh, big life-changing thing for me. Um, I was detail-oriented going into, like I said, I managed a company prior for a uh, woman in uh, North Carolina. And I thought I was uh, like organized, detailed, um, but really wasn't. In school, like I said, I felt like I didn't really study too much, kind of eased by school. Um, when I got to OCS, and that really changed. Everything's detail-oriented. It's verbatim, especially here in the military. Everything's verbatim. Um, fraternity. I'm going to detour as far as planning. Um, I held a couple of offices, so like uh, Hegemon and Pilo. Um, you had to be kind of detail-oriented there and make sure everyone's on the same page and you're teaching the right material. So that kind of helped me there. But as far as OCS goes, that was a big life-changing uh, opportunity for me. I mean, I didn't really make my bed when I grew up. So uh, going there and uh, trying to do hospital corners on a bed and make a nice tight bed, everything to the T. And then uh, coming in an hour later, everything's tossed and flipped over. You have to go find things. Um, so that was a big thing. Yeah, so OCS definitely helped me. I wasn't as detail-oriented as prior. Now, coming through the military, and, and we have all these different procedures that have to be word for word up to the like, punctuation. If you don't get it, it's wrong. So everything's graded off of that. So hope that answers your question. But uh, yeah, now I was not detail-oriented as much prior to the military. Yeah, I, pre I appreciate that very much. Jeff, in thinking about Wounded Warrior, that's obviously a name that I think so many folks have heard of, especially folks who are veterans who are, who are tuning into our podcast. And, and for someone who was essentially at the ground floor as, a, as it took off, I know from some, as an outsider, right, just seeing things uh, or reading things, it really appears their focus has been all these folks from 9-11 who, who went and served our country, um, either in Afghanistan or over in the Middle East, and now have come back. Uh, and, and folks that you're trying to support. Can you talk about if that is the focus, if it's more uh, wounded warriors from all sorts of uh, interactions militarily that, the, that our, our country has been a part of, can you talk a little bit about their mission and, and the work that you have done and I'm sure continue to support today? Yeah, well, that, of course it was, it was the, I, I can't speak really to, to what they, you know, their, their primary focus now still certainly still focused on the warrior, the longevity, because knowing that, you know, it, the, the, the primary focus were the, the guys from Iraq and Afghanistan in that global war on terror. Um, but what I know that we got a chance to do uh, up until about 2009 and even after is that we got to serve those that were coming uh, the, you know, that came before the Vietnam era. You know, many of those guys had a really rough time coming home, certainly not the welcome that, that the warriors get now. And so there was, there was kind of a healing process. It was a back and forth, even with, with that era, with some of the guys, because they really wanted to give back and, and they really, they wanted to provide the welcome that they didn't have. And so there's been that synergy and we learned a lot uh, from those guys uh, talking to them. And I think moving forward, you know, the, the transition really never stops. I mean, we're, it's just, and now we talk about a new normal now. That's, you know, it's, it's the, the new normal for a warrior when they come off the battlefield. Um, it, it is a complete life-changing uh, oftentimes because what, for, for so many, um, 
you know, many of them wanted to, to do the military for, they, that's what they wanted to do. And that's all they've ever wanted to do. And because of a circumstance, sometimes, you know, and it completely changes and, and flips their trajectory now. And so now they got to come back and refocus and that, that military training and all of that really helps. But at the end of the day, if you have your eyes laser beam focused on one direction and all of a sudden it gets altered, you know, now you gotta, you gotta reassess. And what we saw a lot with, with the guys, it was one, to get over the initial integration back. Then it was really trying to figure out what am I gonna do in my life? Uh, and that's where, I, you know, with the, the education side and the employment, because so many may might not have been great students. Uh, you know, Griffin, obviously, uh, you know, a great student. And, and I really was never, I mean, I was okay student. I really didn't put the, the effort into it. And, and a lot of guys, they just, the schooling and college wasn't really where they wanted to be. And they really wanted to do something else and make a difference. And so being a student or, or seeing yourself as being be able to sit in a classroom a lot of times, wasn't that, it wasn't that. And so now it's a matter of how to, how to reacclimate and really kind of help them see themselves as as students, uh, as as whatever it is that they want want to do, and I think that's the we look at now the combat stress component, uh, and, and really dealing with that because it, it's it's such a nebulous type of concept. It's the one that nobody wants to talk about, but everybody knows it's there, because there's no um, it's it's not a black and white. You know, I, I can give me an aspirin, and all of a sudden my headache goes away. This is something that that will be there, and you don't necessarily have to have been a part of a combat situation or anything, a traumatic incident, I think about our first responders and our firemen and, and those in, in, on, an, on a car accident, if you're the first person on the scene, the, the vision and what you see uh, a lot of times inside of a car, whatever it is, that, that those images stay with you. And so uh, I think the continued mission, and I certainly can't speak for, for the guys, but I know that we saw it early on, we knew that this was not going to be something that's going to, going to change or be taken care of in five years or 10 years. This is going to be a long-term process because we saw it with the World War, the one, World War I guys, uh, the greatest generation of World War II, certainly Korea, Vietnam. We saw that and, and they never really, it never really left them. It was just a matter of how do we, how do we adapt uh, and, and today with the decentralization of guys where, you know, the, the World War II, what we saw early on was that when these guys came back, even from Vietnam and World War II, they went back to the towns a lot of times that they left from. And so there was an instant support system just from the guys who served together. What we saw then now, now in, in the early 2000s, everybody kind of went back and a lot of times they might be the only one in their town or community that served and they really lost that connectivity and it was hard sometimes to to share with somebody and so that's been i think the long-term vision of how do we make sure that we stay in touch with these guys to make sure that we support them even after the bodies have somewhat healed but a lot of times the hearts and the minds are the ones that uh, tend to lag a little bit and that those I think that is the focus and it should be the focus of any military organization now that's serving the wounds because you can serve the body but it's the heart and the minds that really need to uh, to be served as well. That's well said thank you thank you for sharing. Griffin as as you think about you know, Jeff talked about the the human aspect and the brotherhood aspect and even shared a little bit of the brotherhood that he had found in his chapter and, and then had found in the military. Can you expound on that when it comes to the, the brotherhood that you have found in the military thus far? And uh, as well as the experiences in staying connected, I think that's also an interesting piece that I would love to hear about is someone who's been out of school for a couple of years now, or how or if you're staying in touch with some of your fraternity brothers from your time at, at UNC Wilmington while you're still 
grinding and working so hard and, and picking up all these new concepts and finding flight time if you're, you're managing to be able to stay in touch and contact and keep that fraternal flame going as well? Oh, yeah. Um, so brother is a really big thing in the military. Um, as far as like, I went to OCS with about, I started, I think, with 45 guys um, after the first week. We had over half the class drop. And we have other people roll in on this kind of how it works at OCS. You have people who fail out or decide they just don't want to be there anymore. We have a massive group text. Even people who come in before me or after me, we're all here to help each other. So as far as flight school goes, too, I mean, I have, I think we have about, about 70 people in our squadron, three different squadrons. Everyone's there to help each other out. I talk to almost everyone from my OCS class originally. Um, we all have the group text. Get, keep in touch. I mean, we split up. Some guys went to Corpus Christi. Some guys came here to Milton, Florida, Whiting Field. Um, that's kind of how it works. You guys split up, you talk, you're all going through the same thing. Um, if you have a bad flight, you can talk to someone else, like, hey, what did you do to make that flight better? Or, hey, I have this instructor, what does he like to see when you do in the plane or anything like that? And then as far as brotherhood and for, like, fraternity goes, I still talk to almost all the brothers. Um, I got married about uh, almost two years from now, right after college, and I had to go do a courthouse uh, wedding just because military, you don't just don't get a lot of time off, you only got to take leave. They kind of own you at that point in time. So I got married probably about a year before I actually had my wedding. So my wedding, my uh, groomsmen were almost all brothers from fraternity. Um, I still keep in touch with them. So the long sh story short, pretty much, is yeah. The brotherhood's always there. Um, I reach out to some guys in Wilmington, actually this painting behind me. Um, I don't know if you guys can see it or not. I was taken by a brother and helped support his business. He's a local drone photographer. Um, and yeah, hope that helps. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. Uh, you know, it's interesting because when you talk to when you talk to our members, some of them stay deeply engaged right out of right out of school, and others, you know, they quickly get into professional life. They quickly get into a, a routine that is that is built in this life that they are creating, and and uh, unfortunately, some of those bonds can get lost. And then you see many times they get recaptured whenever they get on the back half of of their career, and and they've had children, and they're starting to go off to college, and that, that starts to spark again and they want to get reconnected with the fraternity, they want to get reconnected with some of their brothers. Something you had talked about earlier, Griffin, was service and a little bit of St. Jude. And that made me think too, Jeff, uh, in terms of you were sharing this story of uh, an event that was created. It sounds like a fundraising event, cycling from, from New York out to the West Coast. Can you talk a little bit about it? You wanted to, it seemed like you really wanted to share that story and I want to hear it. So talk wow. about the story of this event. So okay, so the, the the event's called Soldier Ride, and and a, a, a guy named Chris Carney, um, it actually it materialized in, in a place in Montauk, New York, called Stephen Talk House. It's a kind of a bar and, and a place they have events, and uh, and he literally he was uh, on the uh, bar stool and said, "Man, I, I want to do something to raise some awareness for these guys. Uh, I think how about if I ride my bicycle across the country?" And of course. At the end of a night, man, everything sounds great, and that's that's like the greatest idea ever. And and rarely, when in the morning, do you do you realize what you just said and what? But he actually went through with it. And so the first year he did it by himself, literally a contiguous ride from Montauk to San Diego, California. Uh, the second year, uh, there were three wounded warriors that actually went along with him. Uh, and so that was a huge piece going on. Uh, you know, they got one uh, Heath Calhoun. He was a, a, a bilateral. Um, uh, amputee his leg so he literally ran he, he hand cycled from Montauk New York uh, to San Diego California others uh, uh, Ryan Kelly was an amputee he was a part of that group and so you had yeah you had three wounded warriors that actually went along with Chris 
and uh, and they went literally from Montauk, New York, to San Diego, California. Uh, and what a great thing! I mean, that in it uh, they you know they stopped off in uh, different ballparks. This is uh, also when Fox News. Fox News really just embraced Wounded Warrior Project, and still, uh, they still do. They still talk about it, but uh, uh, it, they really embraced it and literally tracked the ride uh, all the way from, from New York to San Diego, California. And so uh, when one of the things that we did um, on the resource development side, we started to have these different rides in cities, and it really, we kind of created ownership of these different cities that would have their own ride. And so as opposed to going uh, as a part of something from, from New York to California, we did one in the Empire State. So we had a big New York ride where we went down to you know, lower Manhattan and then we had a DC ride and we had a California ride and we had a Dallas ride. And so really we went all across the country to really create ownership locally because the, the challenge of any nonprofit you can have these big lofty realms up here, but your ability to reach somebody in a community, that truly shows the power and the impact of an organization. And, you know, Wounded Warrior, what we did, you know, I spent 275 days a year, the first three years uh, on the road. I mean, every year, but we, our goal was to reach the individual because at the end of the day, you can say you're doing great things, but unless you actually provide that service to somebody in the middle of Kansas or Iowa somewhere, you're really not doing what you're what you're set out to do, and so that that's one of the things that created that awareness, uh, and it really showed. I mean, you know, you look at the logo and you look at the name. There's no bones about what the organization does and who they're serving, and so uh, it was. Uh, I won't say it's an easy sell, but it was certainly something that once you put it out there, you had to back it up. And I think that uh, uh, over the, the 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 life of the organization have really you know impacted literally thousands not just the warriors but their families as well and that's that's the big thing too we knew right out of the gate that we can, we got to serve the warrior but we got to serve the family as well because a lot of times the families are forgotten they're the ones the the guys when we're out we know exactly what's going on mom and dad sisters wives they don't know what's going on every day and you just can't give them that frame of reference and so to have a, a network of families that understood as well was just as important of, uh, as to have the network of uh, of the guys, because that, again, it's a support system. When you go home, you go home, uh, and you, unfortunately, you take a lot with you, uh, and a lot of people don't have that same frame of reference, and so it's it's a huge, important piece. So that soldier ride, those first couple of years, man, that was huge, because it really put a face, uh, you know, a, an organizational face to a community, and, and they got to see things that were happening right there on the ground. I uh, love it, and I love I love the uh, the connection to the fraternity. Obviously, many times that's where my brain goes and how it connects yeah. to our organization. And so, our members participate in the St. Jude Walk Run, right, locally in their community. St. Jude does the same yeah. experience, and they're trying to create that same thought process. And so, to see this idea come to fruition, and for you to talk about the background of it, uh, I really appreciate you delving into it. I would love to give both the opportunity, Griffin. I'll start with you, just to talk about anything in your military experience that you'd love to share with our listeners because you have, you really have two audiences, right? One are folks who have lived some of those experiences. I'm sure as you talk about uh, folks who have gone through training and the folks who dropped out and they can think about uh, the folks who might've dropped out that started in, the, in their classes. And then you have folks like myself who haven't lived the military service, but I sure am appreciative of the service that you all provide and just learning more about some of those experiences and if there's any lessons that I can 
take from, from some of the growth that you've been able to find in your service. So I'd love for you just to talk about anything from your military service that you want to share with our listeners and, and touch their minds and hearts and, and the impact it's had upon your life. Uh, so the like, big thing that I've learned with the military is everything's going to be tough. Nothing's really going to be as easy when it comes to the world. Um, it's that famous quote, I think Rocky said or something. It was like, you get hit, you get back up pretty much. Um, so I've had a couple experiences here in the military. It's like, even at OCS, everyone questions themselves. All right, am I cut out for this? Can I do this? Like, I just want to go home. I'm getting yelled at. I'm tired. I miss my family. Um, there's going to come a time somewhere in your career. It's like, okay. Is this it for me? Am I done? Um, I knew coming into the military that I'm signing onto a long commitment um, for the Naval Aviator. It's eight years um, for a contract. So I have to do eight years on top of how long it took me to get my wings of gold. So up here, probably about 10 years of service for me. Um, that's like the biggest thing I tell people is just, just get out there. I never thought I had the opportunity to do this and I had the opportunity. Um, you come to OCA or you come to a flight school, and you don't know what you're going to fly. It's like, oh, I don't want to fly rotary. I don't want to fly fixed wing aircraft. I want jets. Everyone wants to fly jets. Um, and I luckily, I had that opportunity. Um, I had jet grades. I qualified for jets. I just, it wasn't my lifestyle. So I kind of, I like to take a step back and look at the bigger picture there and see, okay, where is it going to lead me into the future? What's going to be what I need for myself, for like mental health? And, uh, and yeah, that, I mean, that's, as soon as you, you stop and you think it's, they're like, this is it. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I'm tired of this. Um, yeah, just the biggest advice I can give to people, just keep on going. Even like the civilian world, it's just, all right, you don't get that promotion, all right, work harder. I'm always in the mindset, there's always something you can be doing to better yourself and better the world. Um, even lean back to fraternity, like with all the philanthropic stuff that Teak does, it's like, okay, yeah, we have a good chapter. We've got good brothers, but we can always build a chapter. We can always make a chapter better. Um, we always make fraternity better. We can make our names better. Um, so yeah, just keep going. That's all I tell everyone. That's kind of what I've learned in the military. Just keep, uh, just keep driving forward and uh, get it done. Well, that's phenomenal perspective, not just for, for what you have done to this point, but obviously as we continue to endure this pandemic, right. And for civilians out there needing to continue to have that mindset of persevering and pushing ahead and, and having a focus on what's, what's coming and what's tomorrow. And, the challenges of today could great could could create greater opportunities tomorrow. So thank you, Jeff. When you ask you that big broad question, talking about your your experiences and showcasing them to our to our fellow frauders, what are your thoughts? You know, I, right out of the gate, one I, I didn't even thank Griffin. Man, thank you so much uh, for for your service, man, and stepping up. It's a it's a it's a huge decision, and I think you know two points really come come to mind. One. Um, it, when, it, when it comes to the, the service capacity and the, just the service component of joining the military, the, the, it's a different breed uh, that, that joins the military. I mean, that's just, and it's, and as there is something, it's not makes them any better than anybody else. It's just a different thing. There's a different motivation uh, that, that really says, hey, I am willing to go and do something for somebody that I don't know at all, but I am willing to put myself in between this and this so they get to do what it is uh, that they want to do and and that's not necessarily for hey look at me and what i'm doing look at the, all the service and look at all this because you ask veterans they don't like to talk about it. i mean it's not it's not about them and, and it's really it's not it's truly not about the quote individual veteran it's about the guys that they serve with and that they're really serving and that's that's the general public in our country and people and so you know, when, when we come down to, to our veteran community, 
it, and just like the fraternity as well, you're serving something bigger than yourself. I mean, because you can't really look at yourself because at the end of the day, uh, and a fire team, a Marine Corps fire team, you know, four people, you know, you got a squad. And, and, and so it's not just an individual, but a team. And unless everybody on that team that's a part does their part, there's not success. Uh, and, and really, when you think about for the fraternal aspect, everybody has a job. You know, the, the, you got the president, the president, and you got the Palortes, you got the hegemon, you got everybody has their job. And if that team does not perform its job to the best of their ability and perform a level, then the, then the chapter doesn't do well. And then in turn, the overall organization doesn't do well either. And so, you know, and, and we don't have to do that. In other words, even in the military, there's so many things that guys will do. One, it's expected, but two, they know that if they don't do their job, this guy could really get hurt. This guy might not make it home. This, my unit needs me to do this. I need to do this for them. And so it's not necessarily for me or it's for them. And the same thing with fraternity. So, you know, any military, they're doing it if it's a bigger purpose. And that's why employers love to find military guys. And it's not that every guy who's a veteran is going to be the greatest employee, but the fact that they understand structure, they understand there, there is an importance of being on time. There's, a, there's an important component of doing your job, whatever it is, uh, and knowing there, there's, a, there's a level of hierarchy. Uh, and there's an importance outside of just your little sphere of influence that what we do is going to have an impact in other places. And I think that's the other piece, too. And when we think about the fraternal aspect is that you guys in your in your chapters. Yes, fraternity is a social organization. Yes. And it's something that you have fun and, and you do that. But you're serving a much bigger purpose because there will be guys that will come after you and what you do today and the, and the ground and the foundation that you create within your chapters. Is, is only going to create that foundation and, and to build that for the guys that are coming after you. You're, you're not working in your chapters right now for you. You think you are, but you're not. You're actually building it and making sure it's there for the next generation and the next generation. Because, hey, Teak, building generations of men, right? I mean, that's really what it's there for. If you don't do your job today, that chapter is not there tomorrow for that next generation to come through, and it won't be able the organization will not be able to fulfill its mission. And so there's so many correlations between the military and the fraternity and the guys that have served understand that. Um, but I think also when, when you get a chance to thank somebody that served the military, just thank them, but don't make a big deal out of it. Okay. I mean, because the guys, again, yes. Okay. You're welcome. What do you say? I mean, when, when you guys thank you for your service, you're welcome. I mean, so I think it's more just the acknowledgement of thanks and appreciative nation, because at the end of the day, freedom is not free. It is, it has been paid for by the ultimate sacrifice of so many. Uh, and, and I, and I pray that, that our country never, ever forgets what is done because right now, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys, this is it. Uh, you know, there's so much going on in our country today. So many act and, and, First Amendment is screaming out there and everybody's exercising their First Amendment rights. Never forget that there are men and women right now who are protecting that right to even burn that flag that we wear on our sleeves and wear on our chest that we salute uh, and that we stop our cars at five o'clock in the afternoons to make sure as reveille is sounded. There's a reason for that and there, there is a population out there that's serving that and they're willing to do that. So I pray we never ever lose sight and forget the guys, the men and women right now and the generations that will come after us to secure that, those freedoms that we love to exercise, but this certainly comes at a price. My kind of guy, Jeff. I love the energy. I'm a, I'll tell you, <laughs> when, when, COVID, when COVID breaks, I want you to come out and be my hype guy on some of these fraternity events. Just you breaking down the fraternity right there and then reminding all of us 
men like Griffin and, and Jeff, the, the service that you provided, and, and my father, that it is done for a reason. And they are, they are so giving, and they, they're giving all of us a gift that are walking around every single day in this country with rights. Uh, Jeff started to take my clothes. We've had a phenomenal 35, 40 minutes together. Uh, Griffin, I want to start with you, and then Jeff, I'll give you a chance to try to add on to that phenomenal aspect of what you just shared. But we talked about the fraternity, talked about uh, society as a whole. I want to end this Veterans Day episode and give you the opportunity just to address our veterans and anything that you would like to share for any of our veterans out there who might be taken in this podcast. Yeah, let's just say thanks. I mean, it's a big, like, it's a big thank you. I mean, everyone who's gone before us and that are, that are here serving now, um, it was built off the people who came before us. Um, definitely the military wouldn't be what it is today for the people who haven't done or had their sacrifice, um, serving their time and their life and giving back to the community. So I really just thank you. Um, I don't know. I mean, you'll walk in the streets. Um, if you're in uniform, you'll hear, thank you for your service. And it is kind of like, what do you say to that? It's like, okay, you're welcome. Now, I, I'd like to say, like, I'm glad to serve. I'm still currently serving. I'll say I'm glad to serve. But, I, like, honestly, well, thank you for your service. That's, uh, that's the big thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, just thank you. Cool. Thank you, Griffin. Thanks for being here. Jeff, anything you'd like to add as you address, address our veterans on this Veterans Day? Yeah, uh, the last thing, the thing that we don't like to talk about, the, the average of 21 veterans uh, that, that are, are, are taking their lives every, every single day on, on an average. Uh, so if you have served or, listen, at the end of the day, you still matter. You still have so much to give, no matter what uh, you might look in front of you. Think about that thousand, thousand mile stare that they taught, they taught us in the Marine Corps and they taught us in the military, man. Look right beyond, look past that barrier, whatever it is that's right in front of you, look past it. Uh, you know, again, nothing is ever as bad as, as, it, as it appears. Think about boot camp. think about those things that, you know, just the nastiest time. The only easy day was yesterday. I mean, you th and you think about that, and that, that is it. And so keep going, keep pushing. Listen, I know that it is in our hearts as military guys that we truly believe that we are indestructible. We believe that we are bulletproof. We believe that we can overcome anything. But at the end of the day, we know that it's the guy next to us a lot of times that's pulling us out of that nasty. Well, okay, so if, if you reach that point, veterans, please, Make sure that you allow one of your brothers to pull you out of the nasty. Listen, there, there is no shame in that because at the end of the day, we all live, want to live to fight another day because we cannot continue the fight if we're not around. So what I'm asking is, as we start, one, pray for our veteran community. Pray for those that are struggling. Uh, and and this, it's, it's life. That, that, that is real life. So one, don't let it beat you because once you give in, then you let it beat you. So don't, don't allow it, but also reach out. There, there are guys that want to talk. And, and unfortunately, we just don't like to a lot of times, but there's nobody else that understands it. There's nobody else that understands where you've been except the guys who are there. So allow them to, you know, even if it's not about you, it's about them. Let them, let them share, let them talk to you, let them vent, let them get some things off their chest. Because trust me, at the end of the day, iron sharpens iron. Uh, and, and that's really what we are here for. So allow that to happen. And so to our veteran community, thank you guys. Uh, we're not here without you. Uh, and, and, and this country will not continue without you. Those who are thinking of going in the military, listen, at the end of the day, you are the tip of the spear. Make it happen. You know, don't shy away. You have what it takes. If God put that on your heart, man, then dive in, go and make the best out of it. Take every second that you can get, use it to then better uh, the next guy that's coming and the better the next guy that's coming. That's what I want. So thank you to our veteran community. 
uh, we love you. And, and if there's ever anything that I can do, let us know. But reach out to somebody. Reach out to somebody. Don't allow those things um, uh, to, to get you. Let the brothers help you. I mean, it's, it's a brotherhood. It truly is. Well, I want to join Griffin and Jeff in thanking our veterans on this Veterans Day for their service, for those who currently serve as members of our organization, those who aren't members of our organization. Thank you for your dedicated service. And as Jeff said, freedom isn't free. And so thank you for what you do every single day to ensure that our rights continue forward and ensure that we do live in freedom. For those of you looking for a sense of community, which obviously many have found within the military, we have that within the fraternity as well. The fraternity is composed of many subgroups that, that form themselves, not only in our chapters, but also internationally. And, and one of those groups is the Order of the Shield. And the Order of the Shield is a group for folks who have served in the military or are currently serving in the military. And if you wanna learn more about that opportunity, you can email a professional staffer that we have on our team. His name is Nate Lehman. Uh, Nate actually served in the Army. And his email address is nlehman, L-E-H-M-A-N, at tka.org. And you can also just go to the tk.org website and look up our professional staff and click on Nate's picture and send him an, an email that way if you, if you weren't able to compose his email address. But Nate would love to talk to you about the Order of the Shield, the work that they do, and how you can get engaged or involved, or simply just be part of the group and another sense of brotherhood, another sense of community that we want to welcome you to. The, the other great aspect when it comes to this community and thought process of of leaders in the fraternity, leaders in the military. You know, this most recent Grand Council had two-star general Charles Whittington as a part of the Grand Council. And actually he had to step off the Grand Council because he was called to the Pentagon to serve the army in, in a more robust fashion uh, and, and really ended his military career spending time with them. And just recently retired, we're hoping that Major General Charles Whittington will come back and serve the Grand Council because he was just such an invaluable member of of that team, someone who's a personal mentor of mine, someone who actually participated in the first ever virtual TK commencement as our commencement speaker, uh, a very thoughtful, articulate man, and just an example of the warriors that serve day in and day out in our military forces and also enjoy the brotherhood and the bond of Talk Cap Epsilon. Brothers, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Teak Nation podcast. We want to wish you a happy Veterans Day and thank you for tuning in to another episode of our podcast. Have a great day. Thank you.